John chapter 11, if you wish to follow. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent words to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called <clears throat> in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. Story, Mike is going to preach afterwards, we'll fill out the story, but just to introduce these next two songs, Mary and Martha were desperate for Jesus' presence in the face of grief. And these two songs we're going to sing together speak of our desire to honor Jesus, to be with Jesus. There's a line in the second one that talks about opening up our hearts and letting the healer in. And we all carry these wounds and griefs and we want to bring them to Jesus tonight. So please stand, and as we sing the song, can I invite you just to ask the Lord to come and minister to you uh, how you really are, just as he met with Mary and Martha all those years ago. Thank you, amen. Do please be seated. Just going to rearrange the lectern. So we invite Mike to come and preach. Mike is part of our evening congregation. Uh, Mike was a vicar and now works for CPS, Christian Mission Agency. Mike, you're very welcome this evening. Thank you. I'm very struck by the message that... Um, Martha and Mary sent to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. I remember Eugene Peterson saying, uh, as he was uh, talking about prayer, that whenever, you, whenever he, you hear someone speaking to Jesus in the New Testament, because Jesus is God, that is a prayer. So here are 
Martha and Mary praying to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. As we stand in the presence of sickness and death and grieving, our hearts are full of messages to God of one sort or another. Shall we just hold a moment of quiet as we as we let those messages, those prayers, be lifted up to Jesus. Jesus who loves us. Jesus who loves the ones whom we love. Lord, the one you love is sick. This is a most momentous passage. If it weren't for the fact that the crucifixion and then the resurrection comes afterwards, this would be the climax of John's gospel. We've already heard in the gospel of times when Jesus sat with his disciples at the table of his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, laughing and eating with them, processing the day's experiences, speaking of his heavenly Father. Mary was so drawn by Jesus' words that Martha had to ask Jesus to send, it, send her back to the kitchen. But Jesus had refused. He wanted Martha to hear those words of God, he would rather that Martha too was drawn into that special circle by the firelight where God's reality was made real in friendship. And then one day, Jesus comes to their house, but somebody is missing from the table. Lazarus, their brother, has died. As we come towards Christmas, many of us are painfully conscious that there will be somebody, somebody important who is missing from our own dinner table. Perhaps somebody swept away by COVID or because the NHS was overwhelmed at the time. So this is a difficult passage for us because it touches so painfully on our grief and our own mortality. It's difficult but it's glorious. In John's Gospel, Jesus has declared over and over again that he is far more than just a good moral teacher, just a nice guy, just a friend. You'll remember when, that when God spoke to Moses long, long ago at that burning bush in the wilderness, in the desert, God had given himself the name Yahweh, which means, when we translate it, I am, or I am who I am. And Jesus, too, says of himself, Yahweh, I am. I am the bread of life, in John 6. 
I am the light of the world, in John 8. I am the door and the good shepherd, in John 10. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. And I am the true vine, John 15. Yahweh, I am who I am. And Jesus has also performed miracles, which John, the gospel writer, notes are also potent signs of who Jesus is, indicators of who he has come to be, changing water into wine. The water of our human existence turned into the wine of God's life, feeding the 5,000 with the bread from heaven, healing a blind man, bringing light to the soul, healing a paralytic, releasing from bondage, releasing a demon-possessed man, freeing us from evil, forgiving a sinner, and walking on water with command over creation. In this passage, the I am sayings, I am who I am, and the miraculous signs come together in this most powerful miracle and claim of all. Many were coming to believe in Jesus, and others were deciding it was time that he was done away with, eliminated. Either we reject his claim, or we accept it. But it is no longer possible at this point in John's Gospel just to damn him with faint British praise. Well, he was a decent chap. Right back at the start, at Cana, Jesus has told his mother that his time hasn't yet come. And through the Gospel, at critical points, we're hearing this again. His time has not yet come. And so at the end of chapter 10, just before this passage begins, Jesus has withdrawn from the spotlight of Jerusalem back across the Jordan. His time has not yet come. And in this hidden moment, I think that Jesus was waiting for a sign. That the moment had at last come for his final fateful journey to Jerusalem. And when the message from Martha and Mary comes to him, I think Jesus suddenly knew that this was it. This would be the sign. Not only the greatest sign to his disciples, to Martha and Mary, and to us, John's readers, of who he is, but also the sign to himself that his time had now come. This sickness will not end in death, he says to his disciples. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That glory would come at Lazarus's empty tomb, but even more fully at his own greater empty tomb. The disciples don't realize this yet. They assume that Jesus is weighing up the dangers of returning to Jerusalem against the pressing need to get to Lazarus to heal him before it's too late. But Jesus waits. 
He waits for an inner certainty that Lazarus is already dead. So that nobody will think that this is about sickness. For Jesus has a bigger fish to fry. In this greatest sign, the time has come for Jesus to confront not illness, as he's done so many times before, but death itself. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may believe. Not so that Lazarus may go on living. That wasn't in doubt for Jesus. So that you may believe. So that you may believe that the Father has given me power even over death. So that you may hold on to your belief, your belief in me, when like Lazarus, I too am dead and buried. So, as Jesus and his disciples set off for Bethany, death is on their mind. Lazarus' death, the disciples' possible death, the hand of the Jews, Jesus' death, quite a somber journey. Even in Jesus' company, we journey towards death, each one of us. This is very tough for us. And Jesus doesn't take that toughness away, but he does accompany us. Indeed, he leads us in our journey. We don't walk alone towards Bethany, the, the death of those we love, or towards Jerusalem, our own death. We walk with Jesus. Some of us with less imagination and experience don't sense the foreboding. But for others of us, the journey right now seems very fearful. Yet Jesus is walking with us. Hold this. And he is asking us to trust him. That sickness and death for ourselves and for those we love does not end in death. That if we will trust him, we will see God's glory in the sun. So, we arrive with Jesus at the place of death. So much grief, so much loss, so many heart-wrenching questions. In the end, they all boil down to this one, which both of the sisters ask of Jesus. Why weren't you here? If you had been here, you could have healed him. Why didn't you come when we sent for you, when we prayed, when we pleaded with you? Sometimes such confusion and distress finds outlets, outlet in anger and hostility. Why should I believe in you, God, when you don't answer my prayers? when I have to suffer like this, when I have to suffer this thing. But not, it would seem, for Martha and Mary, especially Martha. Any implicit accusation in her words, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, is immediately set aside in the trusting words that follow. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. 
when we find our prayers are unanswered, I wonder, can we join Martha in this trusting, even in the face of the impossible, that Jesus can still receive from his Father whatever he asks for? Can we trust him to ask for the right thing for us? Jesus' words to Martha are ambiguous. Your brother will rise from the dead. And they challenge Martha's faith further. With hindsight, we can see that they're, they're reassuring, had she only known. Martha can't see that. But nonetheless, she steps forward into faith. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Just bear in mind, this is no religious platitude. Many of her con contemporaries didn't believe that, what she has just said. It was quite a new idea. But from their experience of Jesus, from her experience of Jesus, Martha says, confidently, I believe in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus has drawn this faith out of her. And now comes the simple, shocking declaration of Godhead from Jesus' lips. Yahweh, I am the resurrection and the life. Life within, life beyond, life over death. Death may seem to you the final frontier, but God is, I am, beyond that frontier. I am resurrection. I am life out of death. Martha, do you believe this? What a huge question. Could I, could you, crushed by grief like Martha, find an answer to that question? We don't really expect much, much from Martha, the bustling activist, endlessly busy, unfavorably compared with Mary. And yet it is Martha who, in the midst of her grief, soars to a whole new level of faith. Her faith has already drawn from Jesus this greatest of his declarations. And her faith now responds with an equally great affirmation. Yes, Lord. I believe. In John's Gospel, it is Martha who speaks the words that are usually given to Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Surprisingly, we don't hear much about Mary, only that her immediate response is to run to Jesus in her grief. And that, my friends, is a sound instinct. We also hear that her grief triggers Jesus' own grief. Three times we're told of that. Seeing Mary's grief, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Invited to the tomb, he wept. Approaching the tomb, he was deeply troubled. Why did he weep? Why was he so troubled? Was it shared sorrow? Was it anger at death's impact on those who are grieving? Was it 
human mortality? Was it a foretaste of his own dying? In many ways, the question of the, the, the Jewish bystanders sum it all up, sum it all up. Could not this man, who had opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? This is the terrible question which faces us at, at every graveside, which I face at every funeral that I take as I read the words, the words that Jesus has just spoken. I am the resurrection and the life. Could not this one who healed the sick, who raised Lazarus again, who rose from the dead, could not he have kept this person here from dying? Could he not have kept my friend, whose funeral I have taken, from dying? Like Martha, I know that God will give Jesus whatever he asks for. So why did he not step, stop my friend, my father, from dying? Why will he not stop me? Why does Jesus not erase death from our experience? I don't know the answer to this. I just know that he doesn't. That every person who has ever lived since Jesus, since Jesus uttered these words, including Lazarus, have finally died. Sometimes in answer to a fervent prayer, God chooses to bring people back from death. But in the end, they also die. God has not chosen to rescind the process of dying, even though Jesus is now proclaimed as resurrection and life. Why must that be? We don't know. We just know that we will all be forced, each one of us, to stand in the shoes of Martha and Mary to grieve those we love. And looking into that gra grave, we will be forced to face our own dying. In such moments, we are confronted by Christ's words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Do you believe this? Of course, that declaration would sound rather hollow were it not for what happens next. Commanding Lazarus' tomb to be opened, Jesus reminds us who watch on that if we believe in him, we will see the glory of God. And Jesus looks into the tomb, our tomb, his own tomb. He looks in unafraid. He weeps for sure. He understands its horror. He's angry with its power to blight our lives. He sees the pain and the darkness of his own tomb. But he, the resurrection and the life, faces death without fear. And then, he speaks. The Lord of heaven and hell, the creator of all things, the, resurre the resurrection and the life, he speaks. He speaks aloud, loud enough to be heard at the back of the crowd, loud enough to be heard at the back of the cave, 
loud enough to be heard in the spiritual realms and the dominions, loud enough to be heard by Satan and the demons in the pit of hell, loud enough to be heard by death itself, loud enough to be heard by Lazarus, four days dead. To understand the power of his voice, we need to hear a blast of trumpets, a roll of drums, a crack of thunder. This is how John himself describes that voice in Revelation. Perhaps it's how Lazarus heard his voice in death. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the, sh the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the, death, the keys of death and hell. Yes, Jesus holds the keys of death and hell and they can't stop him. At the call of his voice, step by step, the grave clothes falling off him, Lazarus walks out into the light. At the call of his voice, step by step, our dread of death dropping from us, we can all walk free. This is the last and greatest sign. This is the sign which prepared the disciples to recognize the glory of God in the agonizing humiliation of the cross and the unquenchable life of the empty tomb. The sign for those of us who face life's final terror in the death of those we love and the prospect of our own extinction. Jesus calls out, Come out. Come out of your prison. Come out of your fear. Come out of your despair. He who believes in me will live, though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? course the story doesn't stop there. Jesus follows his journey to the very end, not just weeping with us but dying with us. Not merely commanding life from the outside but becoming new life from the inside. We know that Jesus himself is resurrection and life but we also need know that Jesus went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. And so we know that we too will and must stand by the tomb and indeed enter the tomb, but that Jesus stands with us and enters with us. And he will call us and those we love into eternal life. To each one sooner or later, 
he will call out these words and ask us this question. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? We know that even now, God will give Jesus whatever he asks. And sometimes that will mean complete healing and sometimes it won't. And sometimes it will mean calling back someone from death and sometimes it won't. But if we are of the family of Bethany, who can respond with the words of Martha, you are the Christ. Yes, Lord, I believe. Then in the face of death, we too can be unafraid because one day we will hear his words call out to us from the far side of the tomb. Michael, Jonathan, Andy, Rachel, Jan, Stephen, come forth. Come forth. And we will be released from our grave clothes, our human physical wrappings dropping away, and we will step forth into resurrection and glorious new life. Jesus says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Shall we pray? Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and of peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.